Section seventy eight of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gabby Cowan. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Chapter seventy eight. Why he suspected. Lord Vivianne there was no mistake the moon shone full in his face she knew the impatient walk she knew every line of his figure and for one moment her heart almost stopped beating what in the name of the most high heaven did he want there she saw him going quickly up the broad flight of steps the moon shining on them made them white as snow the light from the library window shone softly on the ground he had stretched out his hand to ring the bell when with a sudden impulse a sudden cry she called out stop another half minute and she had almost flown across the lawn and stood by his side stop she cried again and laying her hand on his arm then she looked at him you she said is it you yes lady studley there is little cause for wonder it is the man you were about so cleverly to deceive in heaven's name she cried impetuously what has brought you here do not ring the bell what has brought you to my father's house you were not to come until the twentieth in her fear and agitation she lost something of her usual dignity that was nicely managed he replied with a sneer you were to be married on the tenth and i was to come on the twentieth it was dramatically arranged lady studley it is very sad it should have failed for one moment her face grew white as with the ghastly pallor of death her eyes grew dim her arms fell nervously by her side so she stood for a few minutes then she said in a low hoarse voice do not ring the bell do not arouse them i will talk to you now come this way side by side they walked down the broad path together in the bewilderment of her thoughts she had but one idea it was to keep him away from the library window now she said breathlessly let us talk here the moon was bright so pitifully bright it traced their shadows along the white stone it seemed to rejoice in the warm night what have you to say he asked curtly i can tell you why i am here i have come for your answer ten days before the time because i have heard that you are going to play me false i am here to tell lord linley by what right i claim you as my wife i am here to tell all whom it may concern what you have been to me suddenly she remembered that the room early occupied looked over the terrace what if tempted by the beauty of the night he should come to the window and look out what if the earl should hear voices or see shadows oh what was she to do her alarm heightened by seeing a light at one of the windows opposite 
whether it was one of the servants or not she could not tell but it alarmed her all at once she remembered that she had free access to the house she had but to go back to her rooms by the spiral staircase again she laid her hand on lord vivian's arm i dare not remain here she said do you see that light we shall be seen what if we are he replied it will not matter if one or two find out to-night what the world must know to-morrow hush she cried in an agony of alarm how cruel how merciless you are great heaven what shall i do you can do nothing now my lady your time is come you should have kept faith with me will you come to my rooms she cried in an agony of terror it seemed to her that his voice sounded so loudly and so clearly in the summer air all the world must hear it to your rooms yes i will go there follow me she said she led the way up the spiral staircase into the boudoir wishing at every step he took he might fall dead she had forgotten the bright eye veil and the dress lying there the lamps were lighted in the boudoir she carefully closed the door lest any sound should reach their ears then she came back to him he stood on the top of the staircase half uncertain whether to enter or not she went to him by the light of the lamps he saw how marvellously pale she had grown and how terrible was the fear that shone in her eyes he looked carelessly round the room he did not see at first what was the glittering heap of white raiment nor had he noticed the orange wreath but he saw lying on the stand amid the flowers a large sharp knife it had been left there by some careless servant who had been cutting the thick branches that read the windows his eyes lingered on it for one half minute if he had known what was to happen he would most surely have flung it far from him she looked up into his face with cold determined eyes now she said do your worst say your worst i defy you women are the greatest simpletons in creation he said they imagine it's so easy to break faith with a man you have to find out how difficult it is she made no reply by right of what has passed between us he continued i claimed you for my wife you told me you would consider the claim and that you would give me your decision on a certain date no answer all the defiance that pride could suggest was in her white face you promised me also that you would not attempt in any way to evade that claim i did and i was quite wrong in making you that promise that is quite beside the mark it has nothing whatever to do with the matter having made the promise you were bound to keep it i relied implicitly on your good faith i left you intending to return and hear your decision 
what do I find out? That you have simply been deceiving me, doping me, most cleverly as you thought, most foolishly as you will see. You imagined that on the twentieth I should come to see you and find you married and gone. You have doubtless laughed to think how you should befool me. I do not deny it, she said contemptuously. A strange light flashed in his eyes. I could have you beware, he said. I told you long ago that my overweening love for you was driving me mad. Be careful how you anger me. I have the same amount of contempt for your anger as for your love, she said. Take care. I have told you before. Desperate men do desperate deeds. Take care. I have found out your pretty plot, and I am here to spoil it. What have you discovered? she asked. For the first thing, that while you have been so cleverly deceiving all London, you were engaged the whole time to early Murray, the lover you so kindly left for me. After that? she asked. His face grew dark in its fury as he replied. That you love him. I do, she cried with sudden passion. My whole heart loves him. My whole soul calls him conqueror. He raised his hands menacingly. His fury knew no bounds. You could strike me, she said sneeringly. If you kill me, I should say the same over and over again. I love him, and I hate you. What else have you discovered? That you intend to marry him on the tent. That is the extent of my knowledge. I know no more. But whether you are going to run away with him, or whether Lord Linley intends to countenance a ceremony that will be a lie, I cannot tell. Running away is more in your line, certainly. Could you mind telling me? she asked. How you know this? He laughed. I will tell you with pleasure, he replied. The more so as I think it reflects great credit on my powers of penetration. I was in London the day before yesterday in New Bond Street, and while walking leisurely along, I met your poet and gentleman, Early Murray. I wish that I could extract your debt for using his name, she said. I am sure you do, and I do not blame you. Under the circumstances, it is the most natural wish in the world. As I was saying, I met your cavalier. He was walking along with a smile on his face, evidently wrapped in most pleasant thoughts. He started when he saw me and looked slightly confused. My poor Early, she murmured, my poor Early. The very fact of his looking confused aroused my suspicion. Why should he be confused? Just because he had met me? I spoke to him, and he seemed disinclined to talk to me. Another thing struck me. He seemed to wish to get rid of me. He's very transparent, poor fellow. I was quite determined that he should not lose me. Walking on, we passed Horton and Sons, the great jewellers, 
and in some vague way lady studleigh i had a presentiment that i was at one end of a mystery you are a clever fiend she said praise from such lips is praise indeed as we passed the door of horton and sons from the very confused way in which he looked at it i felt sure that he had been inclined to enter in fact that he intended to enter but would not because i was there i instantly resolved that i would baffle him so we walked together up and down the street each time he passed the door i saw him look longingly at it i began to think that i had missed my vocation i ought to have been a detective at last to his utter relief i am sure i said adieu i watched him no sooner had i gone away than he hastened to the shop i said to myself what could he possibly want there what could he want to buy that he would not let me see then i went into the shop after him it is a large place and i stood where i could both hear and see him without being seen or heard innocently enough i laugh when i think of it he asked for a case of wedding rings he wanted the best of solid gold that was to hold you my lady it would require a strong ring to make you all his would it not he asked for the best poor deluded fool her white face and glittering eyes might have warned him but they did not he chose the ring evidently having the size by heart then he asked to see some pearl lockets he selected one and asked for a certain motto to be engraved on it but he asked again when it could be done they told him in two days this did not suit him he must have it in a few hours he was leaving town to-morrow they asked if he would leave it and they would try he replied no that he wanted both ring and locket on the tent and then he left the shop i need not to tell you how that startled me why should he want a wedding ring on the tent then i can hardly tell you how it was a certain suspicion entered my mind that the wedding ring and locket were for you my poor early she said with a long low sigh i secured the services of someone whom i knew to be clever trustworthy and keen we watched your friend and found that he was making preparations for a long absence and that he was going abroad still i must confess i was not prepared to hear that he had started yesterday and had taken a first-class ticket to anderley it did not require a genius you know to pull all these strange coincidences together i guessed in one moment that you were playing me false i should have been here before but that an imperative engagement kept me in town i started at noon to-day and owing to some mistake in the trains i did not reach anderley 
until too late to take a flight, a cab, or horse, or anything else. I was compelled to walk here. And that accounts for my delay, for my late visit. Now I am here. She looked steadily at him. Yes, she said. You are here. What do you want? End of chapter 78 Recorded by Gabby Cowan